Let's take some time as we've looked this month at Gentiles. Let's take some time to look at a Gentile woman who's going to be blessed for her faith. Now stop and think about that for a moment if you will. You're in the period of time where Jesus lived. The Jew looking at the Gentile really has nothing for them. And not only is a Gentile woman going to speak to Jesus, but it's also going to be the fact that a Gentile woman is going to speak to Jesus. So she has automatically on her two strikes simply by being a Gentile and being a woman. You and I are going to spend the majority of our time in Mark chapter 5, or chapter 7 rather, and we're going to also find ourselves from time to time looking back at Matthew chapter 15. In both Mark chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter 15, you and I are going to see different accounts of the same exact day. You and I at times will take our salvation for granted. As we look in the Bible, there are Jew and Gentile as we see them. There's bond and free. And really, at this point in history, as you and I, being a group of Gentiles, look back, we see, and perhaps we choose to see, only saved or lost. We have been influenced by the church, and that's a good thing. The church was in the beginning made up of Jewish men and women and then moved out to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the world. And the Gentile, because of that, that was Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Gentile, because of that, was made aware and completely aware, not just somewhat aware. Uh, They may have been somewhat aware even before the establishment of the church, but they have now been completely made aware. They have uh, seen the fruits of the grace of God that is available unto all men. Now, that's not something just to, to overlook. This is a group of people who have been outcast by those known as the children of God simply because of their bloodline. You and I know as we look and we read and we study about that Jewish nation, the reason why they were chosen was found so many years ago in a manger outside of the city of Bethlehem. And as that man would grow up and and teach and would preach and would eventually be uh, sacrificed on a cross for our sins, Uh, And the reason the divide is, is because of that one person. The Jew was was, uh, established as the child of God for that bloodline. And because of that, there was a great wall of partition built up between the Jew and the Gentile. But Jesus seems to destroy this wall 
every time you and I see him teaching and, and, and speaking to a Gentile. Notice Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse number 24. From thence he arose and went to the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, so that he could be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell at his feet, and the woman was a Greek, a, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she bought him or brought, besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of, the, out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she answered and said, Yes, Lord. Yet the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, Go thy way. The devil is gone from thy daughter. And she was come to her house. She found the devil gone out. And her daughter laid upon that bed. This woman, this Syrophoenician woman that we don't even know her name, Let's take a few moments today and study this Gentile woman who was blessed by Jesus because of her faith. I'd like for you in the first place to notice uh, this particular narrative. Uh, in verse 24, we find out that, that Jesus is coming uh, from Capernaum. That's about 40 miles uh, from, from the area of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, in, in relationship to Jerusalem, would have been north and a little bit west. At this point in time, as Jesus is walking on the earth, the area of Tyre and Sidon, as it had been known throughout the Old Testament for years and years and years, Tyre and Sidon, had now changed in its the way it was known to Syrophoenicia. Same group of people, same bloodline, same everything. They just changed their name a little bit. And Jesus was looking... For some rest. That's not the first time he's done this. Mark chapter 6 verse 31, 32. You find him looking for rest. You know why Jesus looks for rest? So really it's, it's, it's easy as this. It's the same reason you and I look for rest. You say well I look for rest when I'm tired preacher. Exactly. Jesus is not. A superhuman. That is. Jesus is draped in a body of a person. Brady and I and the girls had an opportunity yesterday to go with some uh, girls we have known from previous youth groups. When they were about Emma and Chloe's age, they're now in college at Jacksonville finishing up. <laughs> now that doesn't make you feel old. And we had an opportunity to go uh, walk on some trails over here at Nakalula. I had a good time. Walked three or four miles. And I woke up this morning and I thought, man, my legs are going to fall off. You know what my legs needed? Exercise, obviously. You know what they need now? Rest. Why? Because that's the machine that God created that we call a body. Jesus is, is draped in this body. And... and as difficult probably as it is for us to understand and to and to to imagine Jesus being tired, can you imagine the Son of God putting on this 
tabernacle, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 14, and he's becoming tired. Something he's not ever experienced. Can you imagine being hungry? Something he's not ever experienced. Being thirsty. And yet, here he finds himself not sneaking into a house as if he's robbing the place, as if he's doing something wrong, but having a moment to just take a break. Having a moment to simply say, let's regroup. And that's where we find Jesus. We find him uh, trying to take a moment to, to regroup. In verse 25, a lady comes and visits him. She's from the area of Tyre and Sidon. She is mentioned at, from Mark as being a Greek, a uh, Gentile. And then he goes on to say specifically that she is a Syrophoenician. I have not seen, I have not read, any major problems that the Jews at that point in time had with the Syrophoenicians other than the fact that they were Gentiles. And so her being a Syrophoenician, perhaps he's mentioning that, that they had the good relationship uh, with the exception of her being a Gentile. And, and everything would have been lovely, would have been completely different from the lady in Samaria. When he would have walked up to her in, in John chapter 4, and there would have been an immediate rub there. There would have been an immediate conflict because she was a Samaritan, you know, and he was a Jew. And so perhaps it is mentioned that she's a Greek, a Syrophoenician, uh, just to simply say that there was no animosity between them as they first came up. This woman, as is uh, presented to Jesus, has a daughter. And I guarantee you, this woman loved her daughter the same way that you and I love our children. This daughter was probably a fantastic young lady. She probably paid attention and did everything her mother and father told her to do. And then there was a day in the which she became demon-possessed. Like you take a side note here for a moment. Think about all the ideas of demon possession that you find within Hollywood. Throw all of those out the window. Now, put in its place all of the things you can read and understand and study about the demon possession found in the Bible. Here's what I don't know. I don't know how a person became demon-possessed. We're never told that. We're never told if you were to go by this place, if you were to act like this, if you were to do that other thing, then demons would possess you. I don't know how it was. It seems almost arbitrary that a demon would choose this person or would choose that person. I do quite often see demons possessing children. Here, her daughter is demon-possessed. So, why is she coming to Jesus the Christ to have this demon removed? Well, I 
think for a few reasons. One, perhaps it is she has heard the tale. I know she has. She lives around the area where a great many of the of the uh, miracles of Jesus have been done around the area of Capernaum. So she's heard of who Jesus is. She's probably heard of what he could do. And, and she said, well, perhaps if I go there and he doesn't remove this demon or he cannot, then I'm not out anything. But if I never go and he's able to, oh, then I've missed out on it all. And so perhaps maybe she's just playing the odds. Or perhaps, as she goes, this is yet another way for God to prove who Jesus is. And you say, yes, preacher, it is. Let me show you some things. John chapter 4, or chapter 3, rather, you have the very first miracle found in the Bible during Jesus' ministry. He changes water, regular old, I hate to say old tap water, regular old well water, into grape juice. It's been done for thousands of years by means of a grapevine. Jesus said, takes the divine out of the way. He he takes that physical aspect of of making grape juice out of the way. And he simply just makes something. You see him heal someone's daughter, uh, uh, Jairus' daughter, next. Raise her from the dead. You see him heal those who were blind by spitting on the ground and making uh, like a, a clay mud mixture and rubbing that on their eyes, telling one to go wash in the pool of Siloam, John chapter 5, and one uh, to wash in the pool of Bethsaida, John chapter 9. And they wash their eyes and, and then they can open them up and they have sight. You see him feed. 3,000, and then 5,000, and then multitudes with meals that, that really don't add up to much of anything. A couple of fish, a few small loaves, rolls, basically, uh, of barter. And not only does he feed thousands by doing that, he actually has leftovers. You see, all of those things, and, and you see his power and his might and his majesty over those physical things. Even the, the power that he has over death as he stands there at the very mouth of the tomb of his friend named Lazarus in John chapter 11. And with redness in his eyes, perhaps the, the, the bottom lids being puffy. I can imagine him clearing his throat and saying, Lazarus, come forth. And from that point, Lazarus walked out of that tomb. You can see from all of those things, his power over the physical. But there's something here God wants us to understand. And not only is it that that Jesus is the Christ, and not only is it that he is meeting every demand of the Old Testament prophecy right down the line, but he is also here showing himself to be superior to the metaphysical. And you say, preacher, what in the world are you talking about? Spiritual. 
demons, that he has the right to tell demons to leave bodies, and they are obligated to follow it. He's not only powerful enough to have to deal simply with the physical, he can deal with the spiritual too. We have a complete picture here of who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 20 or 15, verse number 22, uh, from that particular area of Matthew 15, you're going to see the exact same uh, account in just a few different details. Well, she comes in and asks. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 doesn't answer her at all. But she keeps on with these disciples. She keeps on asking. She keeps on asking. I can see her in my mind going first to this disciple and to that disciple and then this other. And perhaps she makes a group effort as she's trying to get someone to pay attention to her daughter. Don't ever forget. This is a mother trying to take care of her daughter. And so she's going to exacerbate every angle that she has. She's going to, to, to pursue every option she has to make sure her child is taken care of. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 22, we see her then, after she is vexing these uh, disciples, begin to implore Jesus Christ and call Him Son of David. Now stop right there. You and I need to understand something. This is a Gentile woman. And you say, you said that a lot, preacher. Yes. This is a Gentile woman who, at least in some way, knows and understands something about this Messiah who's going to be coming. Why? Because she has enough biblical education to say the phrase, Son of David. She has enough education about who Jesus the Christ should be to call him by what would be the proper Jewish title. She knows something about him. And she continues in verse number 23 of Matthew 15 to pester these disciples. She continues to berate these disciples and get someone to listen to her some kind of way. In Matthew chapter 15, verse number 24, Jesus says, I was sent to the loss of the house of Israel. I have a very difficult time in Matthew 7, or Mark 7, and Matthew 15. Digesting this statement. I had a very hard time with this. Because it's that, it's that same statement uh, as Jesus is on the cross and he looks down at his, at his uh, mother and he says, Woman, behold thy son. Or while he's at that uh, marriage feast and, and she says they, they've run out of wine. This is this at his first miracle. And he said, Woman, what have I to do with that? A lot of times you and I read inflection into those things when it's not really there. And, and time after time after time, I read the inflection where I would read that Jesus would say, I'm sent to the lost of the house of Israel. 
As if to say, I'm not going to help you. Now, that runs in direct opposition to everything else we've ever studied about Jesus. And so I can't make this fit in my mind. And so, as I look and I study and I think and I try to deduce, I have this. Jesus' mission, while on this earth, is fulfilled prophecy and to come to the nation of Israel first. And I think when he says, I was sent to the lost of the house of Israel, I think he's saying, I was sent here first. Because you have to read what she says. He then says later, I would go to the, to the rest of the world. In, in my, uh, Mark chapter 7, he says uh, the children of the house of Israel should be fed first. And so the lady who he's speaking to, in verse number 28 of Mark 7, says, Yes, Lord. But don't those little dogs, don't they eat crumbs off the floor? Don't, doesn't your little dog eat crumbs off the floor? Don't you have to make sure you don't have those things that they get choked on or, or would not be very good for the little digestive systems to be where they can get them? This Syrophoenician lady is not trying to put herself above the nation of Israel. She's not trying to put herself above any Jew in particular. And she acknowledges first off that, that Jesus has the right to refuse when she says, yes, Lord. It's quite different from the uh, aspect of, of, Paul, of Peter in uh, Acts chapter 10 when he says, uh, when, the, when the, uh, the blanket is let down and all of those unclean things are on there and, and the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Let's see how the difference is there. The difference is she's saying, yes, you have the right to refuse. Yes, Lord. She is going to be pleased with the crumbs. Brethren, please understand this idea. It was not, it was not Jesus' mission. It was not Jesus' mission to come to this earth and heal everybody. Make sure nobody gets sick, nobody dies, everybody can see and everybody can hear that was not Jesus' mission. The purpose of the miracles within Jesus' life are to prove that the things he's telling them are true. That's the purpose of all miracles. And so when she says, I would just like to have a crumb, both she and Jesus understand she would simply like her daughter to be uh, demon-free. Does she believe Jesus can do it? Absolutely. Or else she wouldn't be there. And so if those 
miracles are there simply to prove what Jesus says is true, that if she already knows that he can do it, why do it? I'll, I'll show you a case in point. Paul, probably, at least in some opinion, uh, the second greatest preacher to ever put tread on the ground, first being Jesus the Christ, had a thorn in the flesh. Don't know what it is, have several, have said one thing or then another. And he had all the miracles and, and the powers that God would have given to uh, any apostle, why didn't he just heal himself? That's not the point of a miracle, is it? And so, why did Jesus then heal her? I don't think it's to prove to her anything. But would you like to have a voice for Jesus the Christ in the Tyre and Sidon area? Here she is. Right here she is. So we find her speaking to Jesus. And Jesus says, turn over if you will to Mark 7, 39, 29 and 30. He said unto her, for this sake, what sake? Uh, just to, to get some of those crumbs. For this sake, go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. When she came, to her house she found the devil gone. And her daughter laid upon the bed. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 28. Not only did he say go thy way. He said great is thy faith. Her faith in what? That, that Jesus could heal the child? That Jesus could, could remove devils? Well maybe a little. Great is thy faith in Jesus, that he can do what he said he can do. After all, isn't that what Jesus is looking for anyway? When we talk about obeying God's plan of salvation, and we hear it says the man must hear, and he must believe, and he must believe that God is who he said he is, and he can do what he said he can do. Here's the example. This Syrophoenician lady. In Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 15, verse number 28, Matthew will record for us that that daughter was healed instantly. Here's some observations for love, for us. We as Gentiles, we no longer have to eat from the crumbs. We now can sit at the table. Turn over to will to, to our uh, scripture reading this morning to Ephesians chapter. Uh, number two, Ephesians two, and we're going to make our way there here in just a moment. You know, as Gentiles and not having access to the law given to Moses for the Jewish nation, we were aliens from the Commonwealth. We were strangers from the covenant. We had no hope, and we were without God. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter two and verse. Number 11 beginning. Remember, once again, we're going to read this. Wherefore, remember that ye being times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Remember, I like the way Brother Jimmy read that particular verse as, as 
that particular uh, verse begins with remember. Remember that you were without Christ. Remember that you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And remember that you were strangers from the covenant of promise. And remember that you had no hope. And remember that you were without God in the world. Remember that you had nothing but. But now. According to Ephesians 2 verse number 13. We are brought near to Jesus by his blood. 14 through 17 that we're reconciled to Jesus. Verse number 18 that we have access to his spirit. Verse number 20, uh, 19 through 22 that we are now fellow citizens. That we are now members of the household of God. We were those things, but now we're these. Oh, guess what? We're still Gentiles in the, in the blood. We sure are. But with the blood that really matters, that blood that's been washed over us to, to purify us, we've been adopted into the family of God. Ephesians or Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 5 to redeem us as sons. And to adopt us to the, to the family of God. While we still may be Gentiles in the blood that courses through our veins. The blood that covers us proves that we are the family of God. We now, Matthew chapter 8 verses 11 and 12. We now can sit at the table with Jesus Christ. But... Turn over, if you will, to Romans chapter 11. This will be our last uh, verse to consider. Romans chapter 11, verse number 21 and 22. But just because we can eat at the table, just because we don't have to have crumbs anymore, just because we can, does not mean... We're forced to. It means that we have the right to sit there. And unfortunately, we also have the right to refuse. There's so many who have hurt, who have refused. There are so many who we see who have heard and obeyed and refused. Because that's still a right given to us by God. We at any time can refuse to serve God. Romans chapter 11. Verse number 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he spare thee not. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. With the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus' conversation about dogs and crumbs, let me ask you this. If, if the sons of God 
could be cast out. How quickly do you suppose he could cast out the ungrateful dog? That is, if I have an opportunity to obey God and I choose not to, Why would I believe God would force me to be His son? Why would I believe God would force me to be adopted? Why would I believe God would force me to be His child? If God has offered us everything on the other side of eternity, and He has, to simply be obedient unto Him, and I say to Him, I would rather have these things than obey you, why would God... Continue to pursue me. The answer to that question is, I don't know. Perhaps it's because He is God. You and I have turned our backs on Him, have followed after self, have done what we wanted to do, and yet God is still there. Yet God is still offering the same salvation He has offered via the same means, with the same blood, and the same reward. It only comes by hearing what He has to say and believing those things. Believing that God is who He said He is. And that He will do the things that He said He will do. It comes by repenting of sin. It comes by changing your mind, which results in a change of action. Luke chapter 13 and verse number 3 and verse number 5. It comes by confessing that Jesus is the Christ. The one by which mankind will have access to God. Romans 14 and verse number 6. And it comes by putting Christ on in baptism. Via the means of being immersed in water. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Romans chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. But it doesn't stop there brother or sister. It is the fact that that is how you and I enter into the family of God. We're also required to live like his family in order to remain there. We're required to be faithful to him. And faithfulness is a lifelong journey and a difficult process. If, if we ever let up on it, oh, it will get out of control. But you and I have such a gracious Father who has said to us in Mark, uh, Matt, Acts chapter 8, rather, uh, that if we find ourselves... Outside of being faithful to Him, we can come back home. That we can ask God to forgive us. And that not only will He forgive us, but that He will restore us back to sonship or to daughtership. Do you find yourself outside of the family of God? Become His child today. Do you find yourself not being faithful to God even though you said you would? Come back home to a God that loves you. 
and a family that misses you. Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.